Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Well, there's no duo I'd rather be than you and me, you and me. Early on, I didn't really, like, especially, like, growing up in elementary, junior high, even, even freshman year, I really felt that I was um, a lot, I guess, more reserved, and I kind of wanted to um, get out there and, like, talk to more people and be more social. Well, the first time I met Justin McGrath was probably at soccer time with my son. And I met uh, young Justin. He was small at the time. He was shorter than his peers. And so uh, we were kind of looking out for him. He had this bright red hair, and no one else wanted to play goalie. So Justin McGrath said, I'll play. And I thought that was really something, because at that age, he filled the gap. He, he knew what was needed. And it was a very unpopular position. And I saw his, uh, his young heart, bigger than his frame, uh, take, take the moment. He, uh, he came through the uh, grammar school um, just happy to be a part of the group. But then something happened about junior high. Back in junior high, I uh, was in the youth group with Pastor Doug, and he instilled in me this desire to serve and to uh, give back to the community. Because of Pastor Doug and what he showed us with like, you know, volunteering and then helping with communion and stuff like that, I was really drawn to the aspect of service. One of the things I try to do uh, with junior high is to cast a vision that beyond our Christian uh, walk with Jesus is to now um, step out side of that and to promote Jesus, promote our community and serve our community. Yes, you're a Christian, you love the Lord, but what now? Now is leadership. Now we take it to the next level and in their young minds, it's service to others. And so that's where the church comes in. The church provides this beautiful forum, this laboratory, if you will, for service and, and leadership. And kids start to feel like they're needed. Music is just like a really big passion that I have in my life. And freshman year, coming into high school where the worship experience is a lot more, I guess you could say, produced, it was uh, really inspiring to see um, like my peers leading in worship. And that, that actually drove me to want to be part of that worship experience and kind of guide others in that. What I ended up doing early on was a lot of tech. And I wanted to know, like, in my junior, senior year, how could I become a ministry director? How could I take a greater role in leadership later on in high school. I don't exactly know why they chose me, but basically they interviewed me and then told me that I got this job of technical coordinator. We had the opportunity to start working together when Justin was a sophomore. Usually you're in the leadership team for about a year. Justin was in there for three years, and I've poured a lot into this student because I see the potential in leadership. Joe kind of pushed me to believe in myself. Early on, 
like in my sophomore year, I can remember, you know, I second guess myself at every opportunity. He'd tell me like, you know, you can do this. Like, there's a reason you're in this position. This was my responsibility and he was letting me take that. And um, what I felt from that is that he trusted me to have this responsibility. And having that, having that support, having that uh, confidence in me really allowed me to grow to be a much more confident person. So like by the time I was a senior or even a junior, I could help other people operate with confidence. I kind of approach it with that point of view is, you know, speaking belief into someone else's life and equipping students in understanding that they have the tools and they have what it takes to make a difference. His job is to make Jesus irresistible. And I love that. Uh, I was with Joe um, getting lunch uh, during the summer and there was this guy who came up to us and he was just kind of complaining about different things. And Joe was like, you know, earnestly listening to him. You know, the guy like seemed happy and eventually he kind of left. Without even saying anything, Joe turned to me. I think he knew what I was thinking. He's like, you know, one of the most common and powerful ways to minister to somebody is just to listen to them. That is one of the easiest ways we can form a relationship with them that in which we can bring them to God. You know, thinking about that, that was something that uh, was huge for me. Like right now I'm thinking of going into law. I've thought about how majority of my mentors in life have been pastors or campus chaplains. And I think what it comes down to for me is that who your mentor is, like, it's not their job that's mentoring you, right? Maybe that's the job is allowing them to mentor you, but it's that person. I went on a mission trip in Kenya with um, Dr. Bradley Nelson, a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's a, you know, he's a doctor, and yet he had such a huge impact on my spiritual life. This man, um, is so happy, he's so fulfilled, and it's because of his relationship with God. And in that way, he ministered to me. Well, as you know, it's very exciting to deal with young people who are in the formative stages of life and have a long trajectory ahead. And you can see that if you can plant a seed here, it could grow into great fruit in their life because your time is limited and they will carry on whatever it is they're going to carry on. And you hope that it's influenced by what you're planting I find in Justin the five and 10 talent guy in that the Lord gave out certain talents to people and some have more talents. And when I talk to Justin one-on-one, -on -one, I would say something like, Justin, you have been blessed more than most, but don't be proud, don't be egotistical about it because of whom much is given, much is expected. And you will do great things for God if you dedicate all these talents to God. But on the flip side of every talent is a curse, and that curse will destroy you if you use it for self. You'll have this choice a hundred times a day. Will I dedicate this moment to God or to self? Here I am at my end of the career, the life trajectory. You're at this end. I want you to be able to say at the end of your life trajectory that in fact, God is true. God is right, God is loving, that the only really satisfactory way to live life is a life of service to his children. Now, being with Justin a small amount, that's gotta be a God thing if he picked up something beautiful out of, the, out of those interactions. One of the things that uh, he has he impressed me with is that he's admitted that he's going to Berkeley uh, for college. And Berkeley is a very secular academic environment. And he's gonna go and I believe introduce a Christian perspective. And I believe that he'll come back uh, wise and probably expose his community, his friends, to what he has learned in this academic place. And I think, uh, I think the exchange will be fascinating. 
going into the the, the, the real world and kind of going out to Berkeley, I, it's 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 daunting, you know, because there's like thirty thousand students, and do I want to go out and have this new life experience and meet all these new people and have my faith challenged? I'm sure at every corner. I am just so grateful that I've had these wonderful mentors because I think that it will allow me to go into the world and maintain a relationship with God and relationship with my friends here at home and my family, and yet still go and have new experiences that challenge me more and will help me to grow and be a, a into a different person. This has come through a journey. He, he's been on a journey where he was kind of the shy, uh, smaller, uh, friend in his friend group uh, to just one step at a time becoming more confident and now he, he, he owns the room. I saw that little goalie become this amazing uh, forward, you know, and, and, and making goals. Justin, mm. <sighs> watching these kids grow up and seeing the change in their hearts and then give it all to God, that's truly inspiring. And for me, that's motivating. So Justin truly uh, motivates uh, the pastor in me. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you do, you can have an impact on somebody, you know? Most of Jesus' disciples were common people. They are fishermen and carpenters and stuff and he and tax collectors and he brought them in and he mentored to them and in turn they mentored to the population of Israel and Judea and Rome and that's what I really hope to do in my life. I hope that by embodying the values that I have and, and really living a life that is centered on Christ, I can be an example and in that way lead people to him. It's been quite a month. We've spent our month focused on a life that matters. Living a life that matters, what does it take to live such a life? Without question, different ones of us could come up with different ingredients for the living of such a life. But we have focused in on five ingredients. A God who edifies, a character that counts, a legacy that lasts, a community that cares, and then today, a disciple who follows. Everything I say today could be captured in one sentence, and that's this sentence. The disciple who follows you will confirm how much your life mattered. The disciple who follows you will confirm how much your life mattered. Just think of Justin's story. Young boy in this community, one that maybe, according to what different ones in the video said, may not have immediately stood out in the crowd, but whose life was touched by Pastor Doug and Pastor Joe and Dr. Brad here on the front row. And suddenly now, as he's coming of years, coming of age, beginning to say, wow, I have something to give, something to contribute. My life matters. Make no mistake about it. The disciple who follows you 
will confirm how much your life mattered. So what does Scripture have to say about such? What might Scripture say to Pastor Doug or Pastor Joe or Dr. Brad? What might Scripture say to Justin? I want to take you to the passage that we read as our Scripture reading this morning. Ryan and Kristen Delinsky read it to us, 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you turn to 2 Timothy, let me remind you, we believe that this may well have been Paul's final letter. As you read 2 Timothy, you are reading Paul handing off the baton, passing off the baton. They're in the exchange area. Timothy is coming hard behind him, and Paul is handing him the baton. That's what happens throughout 2 Timothy. But in a specific way, in the words we read here in this passage, that comes to light. So read again part of that passage with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I start reading with verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Did you notice how he started? Four words. You then, my son. Son is the Greek word technon. More than other words that can describe a child and the relationship between a parent and a child in the Greek, this is a more endearing term. In fact, it is almost as though Paul, as he starts this section of his letter, says to him, You, my dear boy, he's talking to somebody who means the world to him. You, my dear boy, be strong. Be strong. You have the grace of God on your side. The grace of God has brought you to himself, has put you apart for ministry, has undergirded everything about your life. You have something profound on which you can depend, so be strong. And my dear boy, come up with me. It's a battle, this life we live. So come up with me. Be strong like a good soldier. We'll go into the battle together. You can follow my footsteps. They won't lead you astray. Be strong. But verse 2 stands out to me in particular because in verse 2, Paul captures the essence of this thing we might call discipling or mentoring. Notice what he says in verse 2 again. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Notice the relational dynamics at work there. Paul is the apostle, the leader, the mentor. Timothy is the follower, the disciple, the mentee. 
And Paul is saying to him, now you've heard my gospel. You know my gospel. You've heard me give its content before many witnesses. You know my heart. My heart has become your heart. So everything that I have communicated to you, all that I have taught, every way in which I have lived, now has been embedded in your life. So I want you to take that, and I want you to do what I have done with you with others, and do it with others with the intent that those others will do it with still others. And it will continue a long chain that we call the kingdom of God that is only as strong as its weakest link. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't be the weak link. Be strong. You have grace on your side. The call of God is on your life. Step up and be a good soldier. Now this relationship between Paul and Timothy is tender and profound. But it's not the only relationship of that kind that Paul has. If you take note as you read Paul's epistle in the New Testament, you soon begin to realize that everywhere he went, Paul was pouring his life into the lives of others. He was mentoring others, discipling others. In fact, Paul brought them up right on the dais where he stood as an apostle and made them equivalent to himself. That's how he empowered them. In fact, I want to read you some verses. These are the kinds of verses we normally just skip over. We read them real quickly so we can get on to the meat of what's coming next in the letter. But I want to slow down, and I'm going to read maybe eight of them just to give you an example of what I'm talking about. So consider this. He starts 1 Corinthians right at the beginning with this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. How often have you read about Sosthenes? Do you even recognize the name Sosthenes? And yet, had you asked Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, he would have said, Sosthenes and I did. That's how he elevated him. He's a part of my ministry. What I'm doing is being poured into his life. 2 Corinthians Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, who wrote 2 Corinthians. Timothy and I did. Continue on. Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. There's Timothy again. Same in Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, when it comes to the writing to the Thessalonians at Thessalonica, he adds somebody to that dyad. Here's how he begins. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Now there's three of them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Second Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. He adds these people into his circle. Make no mistake about it. Paul is the apostle. He very clearly lays claim to the highest office of the church as he begins letter after letter. Paul, an apostle. And my brother Timothy, and Sosthenes, and Silas. We're in this together. They're doing the work with me. They're following in my footsteps. Now, what about Timothy? 
when he's not saying, Timothy's writing this letter with me, but rather when he's writing to Timothy, how does he refer to him? The two letters to Timothy. The first one begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. My true son. Or the second letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, my dear boy, you have been with me in this. I've poured my life into you. God has great plans for your life. That's what we saw in the video. Pastor Doug, Pastor Joe, Dr. Brad. We see it all over in the life of Paul. In fact, do you want to read a passage where he does this with many people, talks about how essential they were to his life and ministry? Read Romans 16 and resist the urge to say, well, this is just a list of names. It's just a list of names. You'll resist that urge when you start reading what he says about each of these people. She was a mother to me. He was in prison with me. They were apostles at my side. I owe my life to them. And you realize these aren't just names on a church book. These are people integral to Paul's life. He's pouring his life into them. In fact, there in Romans 16, there's a name. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't want to embarrass anyone. But there's a name there that I dare say very few of us have lingered over when we've read. I want to read it to you. It's a name that probably doesn't immediately ring bells. Romans chapter 16, verse 22. Listen to what this says. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Just think of what that's saying. I, Tertius, I actually wrote this letter. I wrote it down. You can see Paul saying to him, Tertius, come. I have something I need you to do. And he sits him down at a desk, spreads the parchment out before him, gives him the quill pen, here's the ink, and then he begins, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, and he lectures, and he dictates. And Tertius, you can picture him frantically scratching onto the parchment. Slow down, Paul. Slow. What was that again? You can picture him taking that in. Can you see him in your mind's eye? Paul, just a minute, I've got to get this right. For I am persuaded that nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the past, not the future, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tertius is scratching that onto the parchment and searing it into his soul. Tertius was a human being like you and me. Do you suppose there ever came a time in his life when Tertius became discouraged 
overwhelmed, uncertain of where to turn? Do you think there were ever any times when the darkness descended? Did Tertius ever face the dark night of the soul when he couldn't see a way forward, couldn't sense the presence of God? Did Tertius ever have that? Did Tertius ever sit in the darkness and whisper, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate me from his love? He's a disciple. Paul has poured his life into him. And through Paul, Tertius has come to know Jesus. I think of Francis Chan, preacher and speaker. These are his words. A few years ago, a missionary came to our church and told a beautiful story about sharing the gospel with a remote tribe, tribe in Papua New Guinea. At the end of the story, this missionary said, I should really give the credit to Vaughn, my former youth pastor who loved me and inspired me to live for Christ and to share the gospel with others. The next week, another guy came to our church, and he challenged us to start sponsoring kids living in poverty. The second speaker concluded by saying, I'm involved in this ministry because of my youth pastor, a guy named Vaughn. I found out those guys were from the same youth group. Then the next week, another speaker named Dan told us about his ministry at a rescue mission in the inner city of Los Angeles. After Dan's talk, I casually mentioned, it was so weird. The last two weeks, both of our speakers mentioned how much impact their youth pastor, Vaughn, had on them. Dan looked surprised and then told me, I know Vaughn. He's a pastor in San Diego now, and he takes people into the dumps in Tijuana where kids are picking through the garbage. I was just with Vaughn in Tijuana. We would walk in the city, and these kids would run up to him. He would show such deep love and affection for them. He'd hug, hug them and have gifts and food for them. He'd figure out how to get them showers. Francis, this guy said to Francis Chan, Francis, it was eerie. The whole time I was walking with Vaughn, I kept thinking, if Jesus was on earth, I think this is how it would feel to walk with him. He just loved everyone he ran into, and he would tell them about God. People were just drawn to his love and affection. And then Dan said this, the day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I ever experienced to walking with Jesus. Hearing this made me think, says Chan, would anyone in their right mind say that about me? Would they say that about you? As I thought about all this, I prayed, Lord, that's what I want. I don't want to be the best speaker in the world. That doesn't matter. I don't want to be the most intelligent person on the planet. That's not what I want. What I want to be known for is for someone saying, wow, he's a lot like Jesus. You lay Paul's life and Vaughn's life side by side, and the elements are very similar. Paul, gripped by the grace of Jesus, became a firebrand, wrote the most incisive theology Scripture may know, leading luminary in the church. But the passion of his heart and his life was that as he deepened, he broadened. 
As he became more clearly focused on Jesus, he saw more people in his life, in his orb of influence, that he could influence for Jesus, people whom he could mentor and disciple. Because he must have known at some level that the disciple that follows you will confirm how much your life mattered. And so he just kept pouring into people. And Timothy in particular. I want to read you these words of William Barclay, old scholar. He says, It is not only a privilege to receive the Christian faith, it is a duty to transmit it. Now listen to this sentence. All Christians must look on themselves as the link between two generations. Think about that. All Christians must look on themselves as the link between two generations. The faith is to be transmitted to faithful men and women who in their turn will teach it to others. The Christian church is dependent on an unbroken chain of teachers. The teacher is a link in the living chain which stretches unbroken from the present moment back to Jesus Christ. The teacher's hearts must be set on Christ so that no threat of danger will lure them from the path of loyalty and no seduction of false teaching cause them to stray from the straight path of truth. They must be steadfast both in life and in thought. That sentence again. All Christians must look on themselves as the link between two generations. Somebody has poured into you. Now you must pour into someone else. That begs two questions. Two questions. It begs, number one, the question, who is your Paul? Who is your apostle? Who is your leader? Who is your mentor? Who poured their life into you? I dare say that every single person who is here today, every single one of us is here because somewhere along the road of life, somebody reached out befriended us, invited us, drew us in, made sure that we weren't left out. Who is that person? Once that screen goes on, goes up, and that face goes on that screen in your mind, my next question is, have you thanked them? Have you sent them an email, sent them a text, written them a card, made a phone call? Thank you for mentoring me for showing me the way of Jesus, for helping make me who I am today. Thank you. But the second question is equally important. What did Barclay say? Every one of us is the link between two generations. So the next question is, who is your Timothy? Into whom are you pouring your life? Who is being affected by your ministry, by your thinking, by the passion that you feel in your heart? Don't forget, the disciple who follows you will confirm how much your life mattered. Who is your Timothy? Now, if you're a parent, any of us who happen to be parents, if you're a parent, the first answer you must give is my kids. Those are the most obvious Timothys in your life. In fact, listen to this brief piece by Pat Ferguson from Virginia Beach, Virginia, who writes, During morning devotions with his two young daughters, our family friend Bill Cage realized he hadn't been spending as much time with his girls as he wanted. 
After apologizing, he said, you know, it's not always important the quantity of time we spend together. It's the quality of time we spend together. Kristen 6 and Madison 4 didn't understand that. So Bill further explained, quantity means how much time. Quality means how good the time is we spend together. I mean, which would you rather have? Not missing a beat, Kristen replied, quality time. And a lot of it. (laughs) That little six-year-old couldn't be more right. If we're going to disciple others, mentor others, we cannot escape the fact that it will require time. It happens as life touches life. It happens at at face-to-face conversation times. It happens at watching something and then talking about it. It happens playing sports together. It happens as we do life together in the same way that Paul was doing life with so many people in his world and in a special way with Timothy. That's when it happens. We need quality time and a lot of it. So Paul chose Timothy in a special way. My dear son, my dear boy, He said, understand, Timothy was not an obvious choice. From the hints and clues and statements that get made about Timothy in the New Testament, a picture emerges of a timid person, somewhat fearful, somewhat sickly, a wallflower. If you had walked into a room full of people and Timothy was there, it would have been likely that Timothy would have been the wallflower hiding back in the crowd. He certainly wasn't the life of the party and wouldn't have been the most obvious strong person. There's a leader if I ever saw one. No, no, not Timothy. But that's who Paul chose. And he began to pour his life into him. The author William Peterson points out that at the end of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, Timothy is mentioned. We don't know who wrote the, Hebrew, the letter to Hebrews. We're not sure. Some theories, but we're not certain. We believe it was written to Christians in Rome, many of whom were afraid to step out and take a stand for Jesus because it was costing people dearly. And so the writer to the letter to the Hebrews is trying to encourage people, and and the writer is giving them great examples of people of faith. Now, when he mentions Timothy, this is at the very end of the letter. Hebrews is 13 chapters long. Chapter 13 is 25 verses long. Timothy is mentioned in verse 23. We are right at the end. But that end comes with a backdrop. The backdrop is toward the end of the letter, that writer has begun to talk about the great cloud of witnesses, about the great heroes of the faith, all the people that were so important to the Hebrew Christians. And as he wrote their names, they knew their stories. He would write down Abel and Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and Joseph, all these great names as as a way of encouraging them to be faithful, to step up, to stand for their faith. So that's the backdrop to what he says about Timothy. Let me just read you the verse from Hebrews where Timothy is mentioned. Just one verse, Hebrews 13, 25, says this. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, 
I will bring him with me to see you. He's been in prison. If he gets out, he's headed back into the belly of the beast. Listen to these words written by Peterson. At the end of the epistle to the Hebrews was a reference to Timothy being released from prison. Timothy himself was a splendid example of one who had taken his stand for Jesus, who hadn't been daunted by fear of suffering, who despite physical frailty was willing to go to jail for his faith. Stop right there. Remember our passage for today? My dear boy, be strong. Back to Peterson. No one knows what landed Timothy in prison. It may have been because of his faithfulness to Paul, who had been condemned by Roman authorities. It may have been that he had accompanied Paul to his martyrdom outside the city while those Hebrew Christians who were afraid to identify themselves with him cowered in their homes. No one knows why Timothy went to prison. But this much is sure. When he was released, he was going to be doing the same things he had always done. Brother Timothy and the author of this epistle would be coming together to visit those Hebrew Christians. A little solitary confinement couldn't keep Timothy from what he had been commissioned by God to do. When you think of the stalwarts of faith mentioned in Hebrews as examples to follow, you think of that all-star cast in Hebrews 11, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses. But I have a notion that when the writer to the Hebrews inserted Timothy's name as the only living person mentioned in the book, it was not simply a last-minute addendum. I think he may have been saying, you may have a hard time identifying with those Old Testament giants and their faith, but here's a New Testament brother of rather ordinary stature. You know Brother Timothy. You know he has stomach problems. You know he's not the fellow you'd want to go with you on a jungle safari. You know he's just a common fellow like yourself. But Brother Timothy has just been released from prison, and he's not afraid to go back for more. If Brother Timothy can do it, maybe it's time for you to step outside the city gates for Jesus as well. According to tradition, Brother Timothy was martyred in Ephesus about 20 years later during the reign of the emperor Domitian. What happened to Timothy the timid, Timothy the fearful, Timothy the sickly? What happened? I can answer that question in one word. Paul. That's what happened to Timothy. Paul happened to Timothy. Paul took him under his wing and poured his life into Timothy, mentored him, discipled him, encouraged him. And then as he's trying to hand the baton to him, he says to him, my dear boy, be strong. Be strong. Because the grace that has claimed you and upholds you is the grace of God. He will be with you as you fight this battle. And I'm a fellow soldier. I'm in it as well. You're not fighting alone. Paul happened to Timothy. And so that somewhat timid, otherwise unknown young man becomes one who in the belly of that beast stands for Jesus and says, when I get back, I'm coming back for more. I'll be there at your side. What would Paul say? Maybe Paul would say, the disciple who follows you will confirm how much your life matters.
So there's really only one question. I know you want to live a life that matters. We wouldn't be here week after week talking about this if you didn't. I know that there are many ways to do it, starting with God, a God who edifies. But I'm not sure, among all the important ingredients, that there is one that is any more important than who you're pouring your life into. So there's only one question, one simple question. Don't let the sun set on this camp meeting until you answer it. Who is your Timothy?